You know, in the first episode of Andy Griffith, we meet the uh, title character where someone is going through Mayberry and they're speeding and they get stopped by Sheriff Andy, right? They stop him and then they take him in, they take the guy in, put him in the jail. And you know who the jailer is? It's also Andy Griffith. Right? And the guy says, well, when am I going to get out of here? He says, well, when you have a chance to sit before the judge. So finally, he, the guy has a chance to sit before the judge. The judge is also, as you guessed it, Andy Griffith. Right? So I think about that episode on the days where I'm leading worship. And then I just kind of walk over here, you know? So before the preaching of the word, and then who's preaching? Oh, hey, guys, it's me again. Right? <laughs> Praise the Lord for an opportunity to open the word and to share it with this church family that I love so much. It's nothing but the blood of Jesus, not of works that I have done. Today we're going to be in James chapter 2, and we're continuing in our series called Faith in Action, Following Jesus in Real Life. And before we begin, I just want to, uh, to lay down a couple of things just as a matter of reminder for our church. At Sunrise, we believe that salvation is by grace alone. Through faith alone, there is nothing we bring to the table that no act of service can contribute to our righteousness before the Lord. We believe that we are justified, declared right on the finished work of Jesus Christ in his perfect life, in his death on the cross, his victorious resurrection. And I want to take you to our website for just a moment so you can see how we interact with this truth before we jumped into our text today. And I believe that they interact with each other as well. So if you have ever had a chance to go to our website, so here's our homepage. You can scroll down. You see where the arrow is. This is where you can go to what we believe. You can read through all of the things that we believe and also in another tab what we affirm with various statements on scripture as well. But here's our page, the what we believe page. And I want to read you a couple of things. On the human condition, it says this, we believe that God created Adam and Eve in his image, but they sinned when tempted by Satan. In union with Adam, human beings are sinners by nature and by choice, alienated by God, and under his wrath, only through God's saving work in Jesus Christ can be rescued, reconciled, and renewed. Only through God's saving work in Jesus Christ can we be rescued, reconciled, and renewed. Also on our website, we have this under the work of Christ. We believe that Jesus Christ, as our representative and substitute, shed his blood on the cross as the perfect, all-sufficient sacrifice for our sins. His atoning death and victorious resurrection constitute the only ground for salvation. And finally, we have under the Holy Spirit. We believe that the Holy Spirit in all that he does glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. He convicts the world of its guilt. He regenerates sinners, and in him they are baptized into union with Christ and adopted as heirs in the family of God. He also indwells, illuminates, guides, equips, and empowers believers for Christ-like living and service. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, but a faith that saves, Martin Luther would save, say, it's never alone. When we are saved, when we are regenerate, when we have been made new in Christ, that leads us to a life that honors Jesus, that leads us to bearing fruit in our lives. 
want to make this clear before we jump in because we're talking about the fact that James says today in chapter 2, he says, faith without works is dead. So we want to see how does this all work together. So let's jump in together. But first, let me just give you this. So those of you who have known me for a long time might just know this. I just love basketball, like so much. I'm all about it, right? It's all I think about. It's literally, as you can see there on the slide, it is literally my life. If we were sitting talking together and I said that to you, what, were, what would be some of the questions that would come to mind for you? Why are you all smiling and laughing so much? <laughs> Don't see it, Dave. All right, you may ask, if someone said, hey, Dave, what have you been up to? Well, I'm super into basketball. What are some questions you'd ask? You'd ask, okay, great, you're into basketball, so like... That's great. Where do you play? Well, I don't really play. I don't really play basketball. You know what I'm saying? So you'd say, well, you ever go to a game? Well, no, not in so many words have I ever attended a basketball game, right? You may say, do you like to watch it on TV? Well, not really. Not my favorite thing to like watch on TV or anything. Well, who's your favorite team? Your favorite player? Well, it depends. Like, who's out there? You may finally be like, Dave, do you even own a basketball? Like, like Dave, what are, what are you about? Like, you see, the things I say to you, if they're not backed up by some kind of action in my life, what good are they? Like, what, what does it mean? So if I say I'm a basketball guy and my actions don't sell the same story, what good is that? When we really care about something, it shows in our lives. So to merely say it and it doesn't line up. So, so, so James would say, what good is that? So our text in a nutshell today is this, and I took this directly from Martin Luther, who's being quoted by R.C. Sproul, okay? He says this. He said that the sort of faith that justifies is fides viva, a living faith, one that inevitably, necessarily, and immediately yields the fruit of righteousness. Justification is by faith alone, but not by a faith that is alone. A faith without any yield of righteousness is not true faith. So our points today are these. Number one is, what good is that? Number two is, congratulations. Number three is, you say justified, but I say justified. And number four is, the takeaway. You know, I kind of noticed when I was putting these slides together that my, my points, they kind of sound more like Jeopardy categories lately, right? <laughs> And also, point number five is potent potables and biblical characters that start with J, right? But might as well have fun as we walk through the Word together, amen? So let's start together with our first point. It's what good is that? Now you may notice I cram a lot of Scripture into my slides in my points, right? You may or may not be able to read it. My assumption is you've got a Bible. We do have Bibles you can have as well that you can borrow, that you could use. Um, also, you could do it on your phone. This is there for a main purpose of, of everyone realizing and affirming that each one of these points is under the authority of the Word of God. I don't want to give you my opinion. What good would that be for you? I just want to read the Scripture, open it up, tell you what it says, how do we apply it to our lives. So, the Scripture here says... What good is it, my brother? This is James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. I'll read the whole scripture, then we'll jump into our point. So what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. 
You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So what good is that? James 2 verse 14 says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? So one thing I want you to see in this opening sentence, right, from this next section. James has such good, tidy sections, right? He gives us an opening sentence. He gives us an illustration, and then he unpacks it for us. So we look here. He says, What good is it? Can that faith? He says, If you say you have faith but it doesn't show in your life, can that faith save you? You know, the first thing I notice in that is that apparently there's different kinds of faith. That faith he refers to in verse 14. So he says, can that kind of faith save you? So as we enter into some tall weeds this morning, know this, there are different kinds of faith. The, use, the word is used differently in Scripture, and the way we distinguish between them as finite beings, the only way we can distinguish is by observation. Jesus says it's by the fruits. You will know someone and if they're following Jesus. So he says, he goes on in 15 as an example. He says, if a brother or a sister where am I? is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed, be filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So think about that. Just as James gave us last week, he gave us this illustration of the two very different people walking into your church. Now he's giving us an example, almost drilling down on the poor person, saying this person is, is hungry, doesn't have decent clothes to wear, this person is cold. And he says, so if you see this person, you say you have faith, but you see this person, and you say... It would be wonder. I hope for you. You know, I hope the best for you. I hope you get some food, and I hope you get some clothing. So have a good day. I've got to go. He says, "What good is that?" He says, "You say, be, you say, you say, go in peace. You say, be warned, be filled." And these are very, very nice things to say. But he's saying, "What good is it?" And I answer that is nothing. It's of zero good. It's of no good. The fact that you have good intentions for a person who is hurting, the fact that you want the best for them, but you, you don't lift a finger to help, he says this does not display a love for Jesus Christ. Again, you're saying one thing and doing another. And James is pressing for an active and true and living faith. So in verse 17, he says then, so faith by itself, if it does not have works is dead. When you see someone who is claiming to have faith in Jesus Christ, you're looking for signs of life. You're looking for some kind of action. You know, action generally kind of is something we look for when we talk about whether or not there's life there. You know, I remember, so our, our oldest, Emma, she's 16 years old now, and I remember when we first brought her home from the hospital, I was thinking to myself, 
how in the world am I going to sleep and just kind of leave her alone? And so I remember I made a plan. I said, I'm going to buy myself a bunch of Starbucks double shots, four packs. I would buy four packs of these double shots, and I would tell Jody. So Jody would go to sleep, and I'd say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to watch TV. I'm just going to drink Starbucks double shots starting at 10 p.m. and keep the baby right here next to me. So I'm watching TV and just checking, checking, right? I mean, <laughs> it was pretty often I was checking, you know? And what are you checking for? You're checking for breathing. And then maybe if you feel, maybe my eyes are deceiving me, you kind of put your hands on the chest and see if you feel the heartbeat, right? I see new parents who are laughing and giggling, right? And sometimes you feel like that's not enough, you might poke them. And you realize then, you realize then you're kind of in a difficult situation because if you wake them up, then you've got to do stuff. But you poke them just enough to go, okay, we're good. I can relax for the next seven minutes, right? So... You're looking for signs that there is life there, and that's what we're looking for. James is saying, I'm looking for signs of life in your faith, right? If it just sits there and i got to poke it, you know, is that really faith? Can that faith save you? So short point this first one was, but he says, what good is it, right? And so the second point is this, congratulations. All right, verse 18 says this, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. And I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? So in verse 18, James is now bringing in kind of a hypothetical person into the conversation, right? And who is this person? Right, there's no way that any of us would know unless we search the scriptures. And after a lengthy search of the scriptures, you can see there uh, in verse 18, I have arrived at the fact that this person is, is someone. I hope that helps. Okay, this is someone. It says, someone will say, you have faith and I have works, right? So he's trying to be clear here because this hypothetical person, I think they're trying to interact with James's teaching It's not exactly clear what this person is saying. It's almost as if they're trying to kind of passively just link these two types of thought together. Maybe, this person says to James, maybe some people would say, you got to have faith. And some people would say, but my gift is works, and it's okay. Can't we all just kind of get along? Now, if you look here, if you're reading the ESV and probably more closely connected translations, the only words that are in quotation marks are you have faith and I have works. Now, in the Greek, there's no quotation marks, right? So some translations would have the entire sentence there. So you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Some translations would also put quotations there, and then other translations don't put any quotations at all. So we're, we're going to handle all of this together as if it's one long quote. Show me your faith apart from your works. I always show you my faith by my works. And James just comes along and he says, listen, I'm trying to be clear here. My main point is not open to interpretation. Faith without works is dead. And so he says, look here in verse 19. He says, you believe that God is one. This is primary, basic, right? We all need to affirm that, right? We believe that there is only one God. 
And in the Hebrew Shema, in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5, we see that this is foundational for one who would follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? The God who has sent his son, Jesus Christ, who is fully God and fully man. So let's hear, you don't have to turn there, but this is Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind. So this is foundational for the Jewish people. These words were recited daily, right, in Jewish homes and still are. These represents the basic and necessary truth about the nature of God, that he is one, that he reigns forever. And think about when the, when the Hebrews received this word for the first time. They were in a culture where there were societies, there were cultures that were worshiping all kinds of gods. A God of war and a God of peace and a God of fertility and a God that would make sure the the rain would come and a God that would make sure the vegetables would grow and the fruits would grow. So when he says the Lord is one, this means a very particular thing. There is one God who reigns over all things. In our culture today, I believe it's more of an issue of There's many ways to God we'll see in our culture, right? We'll see people say, well, you believe in this one God, and you believe in this one God, and you believe in this one God. Can't we all, just like the someone, right? Just like the someone in verse 18 says, can't we all just get along and be okay with this? But look at the Shema right quick up on the screen. The word Lord is in all caps and big. This is talking about Yahweh. Y-W-H-W, what we say, the Tetragrammaton. So when we say this in Scripture, we're talking about the Lord himself who who has given himself this name and said, this is the name you will know me by. We affirm that there are not many ways and there are not many expressions. There is simply God and we don't get to define him, right? And so James comes along and he says, you affirm that there's one God and you do well. That is good for you and that is something you should do. However... It's not enough. He says, however, there is a belief, there is a faith that is not unto salvation. Remember back in verse 14, he says, can that faith save a person? There is some kind of counterfeit faith that smells like and looks like and feels like real faith, but it's not a faith that, that, is, that is unto salvation. So James says in 19 that it's a good thing to affirm that there was one God, but it's not the only thing. Demons believe that. James says, right? He says, you believe there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? So the demons believe that there is one God, right? So we look in Matthew 8, there are demons Jesus comes across in the wilderness. They know exactly who he is. And without turning there and without telling the whole story, these demons who have inhabited some people say to Jesus, they say, what do you have to do with us, son of God, son of the most high? Are you going to torment us before the time? And you're familiar with the story. This is when he casts them into the pigs and they go off over into the water and the people come and ask Jesus, please leave like you're too powerful. We can't handle you being around us, right? The demons know exactly who Jesus is. So what's the difference? You need to understand, you know, the demons believe who God is. They apparently, from Matthew 8, know exactly who Jesus is. Their eschatology straight because they're referring to some time that's coming. They probably understand it better than we do, right? They believe the gospel in a way. How can they deny it? They know that Jesus Christ died and rose again. They know he's the only way for salvation. They know he's coming back. So what's the difference? 
You find it if we turn back to the Shema. Right? Still on the screen? Yes. So it says you, it says you believe that he's one. In verse 5 it says, but you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might. You see the difference is they don't love him. They hate him. It's that faith. Can that faith save you? You affirm it. You know kind of the facts. You've, you've, you've mentally assented to these things. And even maybe, you, yeah, I'm down with that. I'm not going to disagree with that. But there's no heart change. There's no love for Jesus Christ. Can that faith? So if all you have is that you believe he's God, congratulations. That's why we called this next, uh, this next point, congratulations. If all you believe, well, yeah, he's God, but you don't love him, congratulations. You have the same faith as the demons, right? You guys could even have a Bible study and probably get along pretty well if you don't love Jesus, right? So here in verse 20, James reveals the identity of this hypothetical debate partner, right? So he, he even describes the someone now in verse 20. He says, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? So he says, this someone, it's foolish to disagree that there must be fruit in the life of a believer. James says it himself. Here's what James reveals, the identity of this person. He says, do you want to prove that faith without works is useless? But before we proceed, I want to talk a little bit about faith, okay? The great faith chapter in Scripture is Hebrews 11. I want to read you a couple of verses from Hebrews 11 as we talk about the doctrine of true saving faith. Hebrews 11.1, it says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. In Hebrews 11.6, it says, Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe, yes, that he exists, you do well, and that he rewards those who seek him, so you also trust in his character. Hebrews 11 is where we go and we see people's faith throughout the history of God's people. We see people's faith being lived out and validated and vindicated by acts of trust in the Lord, by acts of worship toward the Lord. In this faith hall of fame of Hebrews 11, we learn about Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Moses, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and each one of these tells how their faith was lived out observably in real life, codified and put into scripture that we may see, look at this act of faith. It wasn't the acts that they did. Please don't get me wrong. It's nothing that any of these people did that made them righteous before a holy God. Only grace through faith can do that in Jesus Christ or in the coming Messiah in their case. However, now we can observe and see that there was faith in their life because of what we read about in Hebrews 11. So this is where we look in Hebrews 11 to look when we discuss the doctrine of true saving faith. Now, R.C. Sproul is very helpful in the way he breaks down the three elements that must be that you can see when we talk about the word faith. And this is why I'm saying today, and I believe that the word faith is used differently throughout Scripture, right? So there are three elements of faith, and they're on the screen now. Noticia, ascensus and fiducia. And let's talk about these three. So noticia refers to the content of our faith. 
facts that we know, facts that, that accompany a faith in Jesus Christ. There are certain facts to be believed if you're going to be a Christian, right? Some of those, Jesus is God. He is the Savior. He died for us, right? He rose again. And this first element simply defines what is to be believed if you're going to be a Christian. So you can be an atheist and know these things, like this is what Christians teach, right? They teach that Jesus is God, right? You can get those facts right if you've been taught correctly, if you've done some study, read some good books on the topic, but your heart's dead. You don't believe it. You say Christians teach that Jesus is God. Christians teach you need a Savior, and Jesus is the Savior. So this is that first, you know, level of faith, noticia, the second one is a mental assent called a census. says this is a conviction that the content of our faith, the noticia, is true. A person can know the facts and not believe them. Saving faith has a conviction and an intellectual affirmation that Jesus really is a Savior, that he really is God, that he really rose again. Now, I believe that this is the that faith that James is talking about in verse 14 where he says, you say you have faith, but I don't see anything that accompany it. I don't see anything that goes along with it. And so can that faith save you? I think that there's a lot of people that are deceived in the pray the prayer, walk the aisle, sign the card, now you're a Christian kind of culture. I think there are a lot of people that are deceived. And let me just say, the best place you can be spiritually, church family, is to be in Christ. The second best place you can be is at least to know and to be honest about the fact that you're not. But it's a dangerous place to be, to have convinced yourself because of something you did or something you said at some event, at some point, because I got goosebumps and I cried 20 years ago, that I'm safe now. I'm not going to hell. But do you love Jesus? Loving Jesus is not a work. It's, it's a fruit that comes from a heart that's been renewed, that's been taken from death to life, from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. When living water has been sprinkled on that heart, you're going to love Jesus. Fiducia, that's the third one. So it's a personal trust and reliance. Believing the content isn't enough. According to James, he says the, de- the demons believe the content, right? We already affirmed that from Matthew 8. Um, faith that is true is if we trust in Jesus Christ as our only means of salvation. This is faith that has an effect on every area of our lives. This is with the faith that is accompanied with love for Jesus and gratitude for his grace, so it's the only faith that saves you and me. This is one that trusts and loves the Lord. So we can affirm that Scripture is using faith in different ways, and that's what James is doing as well. This kind of faith, a faith that loves and trusts Jesus, is a faith that acts. It is a faith that responds. It is a faith that obeys. It is a faith that worships. It is a faith that results in doing something, but remember The doing of something is not anything that earns you anything before the Lord. It is what happens because you love Jesus. So Martin Luther said this. This was our text in a nutshell, and I just want to quote it here again. He says, um, The sort of faith that justifies is fides viva, a living faith, one that inevitably, necessarily, and immediately yields the fruit of righteousness. Justification is by faith alone, but not by a faith that is alone. A faith without any yield of righteousness 
is not true faith. So it's important to know this doctrine of true saving faith in order to properly understand this next part we're about to get into. Because this is a part that people will go to. People that could care less about the Bible, they love to take little verses like this and say, these verses contradict. Look at James, look at Paul. They're saying different things. But if we understand the way these words are being used, we can understand that these do not contradict. Maybe they're hard to reconcile, but they do not contradict. All right, so that last point was was congratulations, and this next point now is, you say justified, but I say justified. All right, so verse 21 and following. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. We're coming back there, don't worry. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So just as we see a different meaning of the word faith, we also must understand that Paul and James are using the word justified differently from each other. The word there is dekayutai, and it's translated in a number of ways. So this word, dekayutai, and you know, it would be really helpful, maybe at least if we could say James and Paul used use a different original Greek word, but they didn't. They both used the word dekayutai. But if you look through Scripture in the New Testament, that word is translated in different ways at different times. It can be translated as justified. It could be translated as freed. It could be translated as acquitted. And we're going to focus and drill down here today the way James is using it. It could be translated as vindicated, right? So we are used to always reading a word. We read that word in, in Scripture because there's so much Paul to read. We, we are used to reading him using that word as made righteous before the Lord. When he says you're justified, we see it as made righteous before the Lord. When Paul says in Romans 4 that Abraham was justified by faith alone apart from any works of the law. He's saying that Abraham was counted righteous because he believed God. He's quoting Genesis 15 there. When we are saved, when, the Holy, when we hear the gospel and the Holy Spirit tells us it's true and he wakes up our hearts and the scales fall off of our eyes, we are made righteous before a holy God. It's that kind of justifying, right? It's that kind of justifying. Um, but Jesus uses that word differently. And we're not going to turn there, but in Matthew 11 and in Luke 7, Jesus says these words. He says, wisdom is justified by her children. You guys are familiar with that verse? So what's happening there is he says to the Pharisees, John the Baptist came, he wasn't eating or drinking, and you said he had a demon. He says, here I come. He said, the son of man comes, I'm eating and I'm drinking. You say I'm a glutton and a wine bibber. What he's saying is there's no wisdom there. He said, do you understand like the folly of what you're saying? And he says, wisdom is justified by her children, meaning the fruits of wisdom is you're going to see it. He says, and I don't see it in you. So he's not saying wisdom is made righteous before a holy God because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, right? He's not saying that. He's saying wisdom is now vindicated. 
It is validated. When you see the, the works in somebody's life, you can say, okay, wisdom is at work in that person because I see the fruit. That's the way he's using the word justified. James is Jesus' half-brother, and I believe he's using it the exact same way. He's saying you're justified, saying you're vindicated, validated. So verse 24, you see that a person now, it says, so it says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So you understand now, look at Abraham. So Paul in Romans 4, he talks about Abraham as well. So James and Paul are both making their point about justification. Paul says you are justified by faith alone. Let's talk about Abraham. James says, you're not justified by faith alone. Let's talk about Abraham. So again, that could be kind of sticky, right? That could be kind of, kind of scary or concerning, right? So we look at it now. Romans 4, 1 through 5. Why don't you guys turn there? I think it'd be good for you to turn there. Romans 4, 1 through 5. Verse 1, it says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God. It was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. He says, he's quoting, so Paul is quoting Genesis 15. And this is occurring before Abraham did anything but trust the Lord. He didn't do any work yet in Genesis 15. He's not been circumcised. He's not taken Isaac up the mountain. The law has not been given. So he's talking about a completely different story than James's. Because James says, was not Abraham justified when he took Isaac up the mountain and trusted God with the life of his son? That's 20 years later. So there's no way they're talking about the same example. They're not using the same illustration. Abraham was justified by grace alone, through faith alone. It was counted to him as righteousness because he believed God. So what does he mean that Abraham was justified by his works? He was vindicated before men. The observable part of his faith was now made evident. You look at the life of Abraham and say, because I can't see Abraham's heart. God can. But now I can see these works made evident in the life of Abraham. Oh, okay. He didn't just say he trusted God. Like he straight up trusted God. How do you know? Because look what he did. And it says in Hebrews 11, he believed that God could raise Isaac from the dead. That's why he did it. He took him up that mountain and he believed he's going to bring him back. And so he lived out his faith. I just want to say before we close today a couple of things. It's really easy to proof text. It's really easy to take a verse of Scripture and say, well, James says you're not saved by faith alone. You're not justified by it. And say, well, there's my proof text. 
we don't develop a doctrine based on one cherry-picked verse. We develop a doctrine based on what the whole Bible says, from Genesis to Revelation. What does the whole Bible say? What is the truth that God is trying to teach me here? And if you have 17 verses that say we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and then another one that says we are not okay, there ha- he has to mean something different, right? We have to start with the presupposition as believers that we believe that the Word of God is inerrant. We believe that it's infallible. There's no error in the original autographs, right? We believe the Word of God. And so, so look here. He's not contradicting Galatians 2, Romans 1, Romans 3, Romans 4, Romans 5, Ephesians 2. The doctrine is not going to be changed or shattered by James saying something else. He's using the word differently. And the best example of how this works out is found in Ephesians 2. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. A faith that results in salvation is never alone. If you love Jesus, something in your heart wants to serve him, not to earn anything, not to check some box that some group of people have come up with. Absolutely not. May it never be, right? But if you love Jesus Christ, you want to serve him. You want to know, how do I honor this one who has chosen me, who has taken me from the muck and the mire, from a heart of stone and given me a heart of flesh, that now I know he's with me for this life and I'm going to be with him for all of eternity. How do I show gratitude, right? Romans 12, 1, it says, You know, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable God, which is your spiritual worship. A life of obedience before the Lord is not a life of legalism or trying to earn anything because there's nothing you can earn and there's nothing you can hold on to and there's nothing you can keep. It is a life of worship. It is a life of gratitude because of what already has been done in your heart. For as the body, oh, this is the takeaway. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. And this is because a faith that does not produce fruit is no faith at all. It's uh, verse 14, James 2. It is that kind of faith. It's a faith that doesn't save, right? You say, I love Jesus, and it doesn't show in your life at all. That is that second, that ascensus, a mental ascent at best, at most. And the demons have that same kind of knowledge and understanding. Ephesians tells us that without Christ, we are dead in our trespasses and sins, just as that faith without works is dead. But please do not hear me this morning. There are so many paths to this morning represented in this room, places you have been, things you have been taught from Scripture. Please don't hear me saying that the gospel is do better or try harder. It is not. The gospel is accomplished by Christ alone. Our salvation, our righteousness before a holy God is complete in the finished work of Jesus Christ. What I'm saying now is the faith is vindicated before others around you in your life as you bear fruit. Jesus says, if you love me, why don't you do what I say? 
He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. He says those commandments, right, Matthew 22, 37 through 40 are, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you love me, it's going to show somehow. If you're some mean, grumpy person who hates being around the, the body of Christ, who hates the word of God, and doesn't really care much about the truth of Scripture, there's a problem, right? Do you love Jesus? It will make a difference in your life. If you want to bear fruit, and I'll finish here, in John 15, Jesus says, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you'll ask whatever you wish, it'll be done for you, you'll bear much fruit, and people will know you're my disciples, and by this, my Father is glorified. If you abide in Christ and his word abides in you, you want to bear more fruit in your life, it's not trying harder. What does a tree do that wants to bear more fruit? The roots go deeper and deeper and deeper. Allow the word of God to dwell in your heart richly. Allow the word of God to saturate your heart. Let the Holy Spirit do the work. Let the Holy Spirit change you, right? If anything, if you make a decision this morning, you know what, this is not showing in my Christian life. It's not try harder. It's, you know what, I need to love Jesus. I need to follow him. I need to make room in my life for the word of God and let it change me. Not passively, but in such a way that it's synergistic and I'm working in my, in my sanctification with the Lord. You see, the gospel is that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life that you and I could never live. We are hopelessly sinful before a holy God from birth, from conception, and we can't do anything about it. And we rightfully deserve an eternity of separation in a very real place called hell. But Jesus Christ came and lived a perfect life that you and I could never live. He died a death on the cross that you and I rightfully deserve to die. And three days later, he rose again, conquering sin and death and the grave. And he says, come to me, repent, come to me, lay your burdens at my feet, follow me. And I'll take that dead heart and make it alive and let us be part of the family of God. Let's pray. Lord God, you're good to us. We affirm, as your word says, that there's nothing in our hands, Lord, that we can bring. Lord, we can't bring anything to the table but our own sin that makes our salvation necessary. And we thank you for the finished work of Jesus Christ on that cross. On the cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. Every sin on him was laid. And so it's in that power of Jesus Christ that we can be alive. And if there's folks here this morning that are saying, I don't know what any of this is about, Lord, I pray that this gospel that has been preached, Lord God, you, we know that your word promises that the word does not return void. I pray that we'll see people saved this morning. I pray that we'll see people who have been lukewarm towards you, Lord, with a desire to worship you with their lives. Relationships that have been broken would be reconciled for the glory of Jesus Christ. I pray now, even as we sing as a matter of response, that the words that we sing would not just go into our eyes and out of our mouths, but would filter through our hearts uh, with a desire to glorify you. We love you in Christ's name. And we all said, amen.